0: Welcome to InScope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's
1: your host, Mike Murray. Hello, and welcome to another episode of InScope, the healthcare security podcast. As always, I'm Mike Murray. And today we're having another one of the Internal scope conversations. The one we had about ransomware with John and Jeremy went so well that we've decided to uh, bring back my two favorite people to talk about the year that has been 2020 because it's been quite a year. I mean, it's been quite a long year. I think as we were preparing for this, Jeremy actually said to me, Who remembers January? It's been quite a year for healthcare, it's been quite a year for cybersecurity. So With that, we wanted to get together and shoot the breeze and chat about all the things that we've seen as we've built scope over the year and talked to many, many, many health systems and uh, heard about their security challenges both before COVID and during COVID and sort of after COVID as well. So with that, I'll make a couple of quick introductions first. Maybe you guys can introduce yourselves for those who didn't listen to the first one and don't know who you guys are. Jeremy, do you want to introduce yourself first?
2: Hi, thanks, Mike. Uh, Yeah, Jeremy Richards, Chief Architect at Scope. I'm responsible for uh, data ingestion and uh, anomaly detection.
0: I'm John Daniele. I've spent uh, 20 years of my career in cybersecurity focusing on cyber threat intelligence, digital forensics, and incident response
1: as well as threat hunting. And so, guys, let's maybe we can structure this conversation sort of as a before, during, and after. I think regardless of how you think about the year, COVID dominates. And so maybe talk about where you guys thought we were going to be.
2: So for me, it's the extension of fishing, and the theme happened to be COVID-19. So you've got this perfect, theme for leveraging these phishing attacks right you've got urgency that you don't need to manufacture it's real it speaks to a wide population and so it's like it's become this fountain of activity where there's you know phishing first it was around ppe and now during the the later stages now we're seeing tons of intellectual property theft and things like that so the whole year has really been dominated by COVID-19 and COVID-19 related attacks?
0: Uh, before COVID, I thought that the, the big story in healthcare was going to be transitioning from traditional EMRs to cloud-based EMRs. I thought data privacy breach would be the prevailing concern. I didn't foresee cyber attacks uh, being the principal concern, although that's always concern in the background, but I thought that uh, privacy-oriented breaches from accidental disclosure uh, might have been the uh, the prevailing concern there
1: yeah i have to admit if if i rewind the clock 12 months i was thinking that we were going to be moving on from ransomware that ransomware while it was a huge concern was going to stop being the front page news that it had been in previous years and that we would see APT's become a bigger story. And, and like you said, John, I actually, I agree with you. I thought we would see privacy that, that those phishing emails that Jeremy was talking about would target getting more info out of the EMR and then COVID happens. And we go back into this world of ransomware and also into this world of crazy digital transformation at scale, right? We talked to a healthcare system in the early days of COVID that said they went from 300 concurrent remote users to 5,000 concurrent remote users over a weekend. And that kind of change is just radical. What do you guys think the biggest, beyond, I mean, maybe that is the biggest thing, but what do you guys think the biggest impact of COVID was from a cyber perspective?
2: Yeah, really, it's been about the redistribution of where the computing and where the access comes from, right? I mean, it's pushed so much of that to the edge on devices that aren't trusted. It's just so much of that has been pushed out and it really accelerated like the whole idea of BYOD. And you know, we were kind of thrust into it. It's, it's going to happen and it's going to happen now. So what's the safest way that we can do it in this timeline? I think that everyone kind of had this timeline and this deadline, we have to, we have to make things workable Within a certain amount of time. So, what can we do? Um, and everyone was thrown into that. And I think there's been varying levels of success in kind of getting there and getting there securely. And those that were in the position where you know they were thinking about those things before COVID hit, anyway, for whatever reason, if they were already looking at those things, then they're the ones that are in the in the better position now.
0: I think what this whole experience has done is, is really stress tested our business continuity plans, our incident response plans have gotten a lot of exercise. Uh, I think the concerns surrounding how redundant our systems are, I think is, is something that, that COVID has really demonstrated, especially with cyber attacks during COVID. I think that hospitals as interconnected as they are Perhaps in some respects, we're not as redundant in certain areas. And so therefore, if one system goes down during a cyber attack, it causes a cascade effect throughout that hospital network. And I think that's probably one of the unexpected consequences of having the combination of a cyber attack right in the middle of a COVID crisis with the um, the lack of resources, the strain on resources. There was already a strain on cybersecurity resources and healthcare. This has just sort of exacerbated that. And in some cases, uh, some staff, some vendors may not have been able to go on site. Uh, They'd had to figure out how to to resume operations uh, through remote consoles, and that's not always an easy thing to do.
1: Especially when you're not used to it, right? When you assume that you get to go to the office every day, suddenly having to adapt your processes to nobody can go to the office anymore. If you weren't in some way prepared for that world, uh, I think that people struggled a lot. You both mentioned something that I think is particularly interesting, which was the monetary side of this. There's been a ton of articles about how COVID has canceled electives and, and hit the economic situation of our of our customers and, and our partners out in the healthcare space. How do you guys think that that has really impacted the cyber landscape, both from the perspective of you know, reduced cyber budgets, but also sensitivity to things like ransomware and financial attacks? Like, w- What do you see as the real impact of that budgetary hit?
0: Well, one of the things that we had mentioned in the previous podcast episode that we had done is some of that revenue is, is just lost forever. It's never going to be recovered. Surgeries that have been rescheduled can't be made up in the next quarter. There's no such concept in, in healthcare. So once that revenue is gone, it's, uh, it's, it's off the table. And that's going to constrain security spending uh, considerably. There are other pieces of equipment that are far more important to a hospital network to maintain than cybersecurity, even though cybersecurity is a top concern, the top concern, however, in a hospital setting, is the clinical experience and making sure that patients in the hospital get the best possible care. That's always going to be the number one concern. Security is going to come, you know, second or third after that.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely kind of expecting to see uh, budgets reimagined. I think customers are going to be going over their existing spend on security and making sure that they're actually using the products that they're paying for. And if they're not, they're going to be getting rid of those. I imagine they'll probably also be looking to do things like consolidate and, and you know get more out of the products that they do own. So I guess that's, that's what I'm expecting to see change.
1: One of the big events of 2020 that I remember in the early COVID times was it felt like there was a bit of a kumbaya moment when there were a bunch of ransomware gangs that came out and said, don't worry, in a pandemic, we won't attack hospitals. And I feel like that lasted about six minutes. Well,
2: there's always going to be someone to slide in there and, and, and fill that void, right? I mean, sure, maybe there's going to be some uh, ransomware gangs that are out there doing some PR but there's always going to be somebody that's that's willing to, to slide in there and do that. And maybe, you know, maybe it's even same or similar groups under a different name. You've got May's group. They've supposedly retired this year. But we're seeing a lot of new activity pop up around where they uh, they kind of exited.
0: I think it's interesting that you, you've got criminal gangs that are also concerned about PR. Uh, you know, hacking a hospital and having a hospital... Uh, cancel surgeries is 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 not a good thing for a ransomware group either so it's it's kind of a there's a bit of cognitive dissonance when you when you think about a criminal gang suggesting okay we we won't go after the most juicy targets with all the financial data and private information and private health information that we can sell on a per record basis in underground markets and make a killing we we won't go after those targets even though we've built our operations to target those types of institutions. I think it was just frankly PR management on part of the um, the criminal groups. The other interesting angle is the involvement of nation state activity in, in ransomware attacks in general. There have been a couple of incident response engagements that have been a part of where attempts to contact the gang for ransomware payment just completely fails. And if you take a look at the vectors of attack that are used and the activities that were used and how they pivoted within the environment, um, some of these attacks, uh, especially in long-term care homes, appeared to be motivated simply to cause chaos and destruction and there were a couple of instances like that that i had been involved with over the course of last year that made me really wonder if there was a criminal motivation or a financial motivation uh, behind some of these attacks as opposed to just simply causing chaos during a time of crisis and it's 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 really scary to think that there are elements out there that that would seek to just simply cause damage but but it is the reality of the world that we live in today and um you know anything that certain nation states can do to their adversaries in order to completely cripple their response and cause their economy to tank is something that certain nation states are 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 willing to do
1: we saw evidence of that in 2020 for the for one of the first times i mean there there was there were the conversations about that patient who may or may not have died in in germany due to ransomware we we heard originally that they did die because of ransomware and then later on in the small print i don't know if everyone saw that they came out and said nope that patient did not die of ransomware in the end it ended up being not the official cause of death Um, But we also saw the U.S. government go after ransomware gangs in a really interesting way by making, paying them a a crime in 2020. I have my thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear what you two think, you know, after our long conversation about ransomware last time. Is that going to have any impact? I think
2: it's definitely going to have some kind of impact. I didn't realize that they actually went through with it. I know that um, it was proposed. uh, There was a lot of talk about it. But the fact that, yeah, that, that they went through with it, I mean, um, in a lot of these cases, uh, these companies are getting insurance, right? And it's the insurance is making the payment for them. That whole thing is not viable anymore. Um, so I can I can see that making uh, making an impact. Sure.
0: I think one of the interesting things is that it it makes one of the seedier sides of the ransomware response market uh, completely obsolete, which is the um, the middle person ransomware companies that uh, specialize in paying the the ransoms and brokering the the ransom deals. So it pretty much makes those types of organizations completely obsolete. Most of those kinds of ransomware brokers don't have the infrastructure to make sure that they're not paying to a listed entity. So at least it eliminates that end of the market, whether that's uh, a good thing or a bad thing. I think that there's a little bit... The optics of punishing the victim, I think, is, is something that, uh, that we're all going to have to contend with. I don't think that this is going to be a particularly popular policy in the U.S., because at the end of the day, uh, some of these hospitals uh, are being faced with some very sophisticated threat actors. The government's response to that kind of activity has been better than before, but, but still not enough in order to stem the loss, the losses incurred during the cyber attacks. So this additional measure to say, hey, if you're a victim of ransomware and you have no other alternative to resume operations as quickly as possible, but to pay that ransom. And hospitals are special kind of entities in the sense that they can't take a week of downtime and recover their systems. They have to be back up because there are patients that require care. There are surgeries that still need to happen. So if they have to pay a ransom to make sure that people don't die, then they're going to do that. And there needs to be some better alternative in ensuring that listed entities do not get paid these ransoms. And I do agree. Like. It, not just simply criminal gangs, but but other nation-state actors, uh, terrorist organizations that are trying to fund, you know, North Korea trying to fund their their nuclear weapons programs through ransomware payments and hitting hospitals. Those are things we need to stop, and we need to do a better job in having a whole of society approach to uh, to deal with that. But is it possible right now to tell hospitals that if you pay to a listed entity that we're going to come after you. I I don't know how viable that is as a strategy.
1: It definitely puts the hospital in between a rock and a hard place, right? If your goal is, if you are, if your number one outcome is patient health and the safety of your patients, and you end up in a situation where your systems are down because of ransomware, forcing the, the hospital to choose between legality and safety seems to be you know, sort of the ultimate rock and a hard place kind of situation, right?
2: I think it's the, the only way that we escape this spiral into the $14 million ransoms that are covered <laughs> by insurance. It's, it's the only path, I think, to, to getting there. It's like spam, right? It, it, it exists because it works. If they can make it so that it can't work, Uh, in the, in the same way, I think it's the only path forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, clearly that's the ultimate goal of treasury setting up this, this whole plan, right. Is, is to try and disincentivize the attackers by making it harder for them to turn uh, a cyber attack into dollars. All right. I'm going to take us a totally different direction. So 2020 big, big, long year. We've had so many things that have happened. What was your favorite? Cybersecurity threat moment of the year, threat actor, attack, attacker, vulnerability that you saw exploited. Uh, I'll leave it up to you guys, but you know what? What struck you this year that if you were sitting down with a healthcare CISO, you'd say this was the one that if you didn't read about it, you should have.
0: I think it's a little bit strange to talk about your favorite hack in healthcare because it all just terrifies me. But the one moment that I was just left um, with my my jaw open, kind of going, "Wow, I can't believe that happened," is taking a look at the UHS attacks and some of the Ryuk attacks across uh, hospitals in the U.S. and how watching how quickly those threat actors were iterating their their payloads. So as soon as a payload was compromised, they were iterating their payloads within eight hours. And uh, I just thought that was uh, a phenomenal moment. I've, I've seen real threat actors in the past iterate within three days, which I thought was was pretty amazing back then. Um, but now they're iterating eight hours or less and going back into the environment. And I just thought that, that was that was a moment where I thought, okay, things are changing and we now have to move even faster and we haven't even caught up.
2: Yeah, and just to add to that, they've just recently you know, continued to add expansion and that now they've got that, the BIOS attack where they're you know, compromising the BIOS of, uh, of infected systems as well for, for persistence. I guess my favorite vulnerability of 2020 has to be the Ripple 20 vulnerability. So it's a, a vuln in TCP IP that affects billions of IoT devices that have this embedded library. It's really, really low level, and it impacts you know, billions of devices. So I think I found that the most interesting.
0: As far as favorite vulnerabilities, actually, uh, we, here at Scope Security, we were designing a end-to-end malware demo. And so I ended up creating my own functional malware for this demo. And, and the funniest moment was when I discovered a three-year-old UAC bypass still worked on the latest patched version of Windows 10. And uh, wa- watching to see how many old uh, privilege escalation vulnerabilities still work is just something that'm I'm, I'm just left scratching my head because the the first time that uh, that this particular technique that uh, that we use was discovered was about three years ago, and it's still valid today. So that that was another moment in 2020 where I thought, this is, this is just bad.
1: We write real exploit code for our demos. That's that, that's how we roll over here. I'm throwing one in too, cause I had so much fun last week when uh, there's a really great paper by uh, project X researcher at Google called, named Ian beer, who wrote about a vulnerability in the iPhone in iOS uh, 13 and 14, where. And the paper is incredible. It's one of the most incredibly detailed and transparent views into how vulnerabilities are found that I've seen in the last 20 years. And ultimately, the vulnerability was such that being in radio proximity to a phone allowed with this vulnerability, complete compromise of an iPhone. And you might think that an iPhone is not necessarily really an issue for most healthcare organizations, but more and more. We are pulling the mobile platforms into medical devices, look around the modern hospital and look around the modern medical device space, whether from Philips, where they have ultrasound probes that can be plugged into phones, to some new startups that I've seen that are using mobile devices in interesting ways in patient care. Suddenly, things like you know Ian Beer's exploit against the iPhone starts to be something that healthcare CISOs have to consider as part of their threat model before phones were really just uh oh well i have mdm and my use you know i can wipe my user's phone if i need to but as soon as those phones start to become medical devices then you have a whole other new and interesting set of ways that this can go so guys with that i'm going to cut this short and not because we couldn't talk for another hour about what happened in 2020 but because we have to move on and record another episode We didn't want to overload one episode. Um, So today we talked about 2020. Uh, Our next episode is going to talk about what we all think is going to happen in 2021. Because I think 2021 is going to be a very wild year from all the things that have been set up in 2020 and all the uh, all the interesting things that will happen next year. So with that, thank you both again. We'll be back next episode to chat about next year. And so uh, looking forward to that.
2: Thanks for having me, Mike.
1: Take care.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.